good morning, church, and I hope you're doing well. Welcome to Harvest, and uh, if this is your first time here, um, my name is Aaron, and I serve as the executive pastor, and so I just want to say welcome. Senior pastor Johnny Prayer and his wife Lori and their family are on sabbatical, I think about another week or so, and I know that they would be super honored if you would continue to pray for them, just as the Lord gives them rest and vision and clarity as we think about this next ministry year and all that God is going to do. So if you, uh, if you have your Bibles, grab them. I want you to make your way over to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verse 12 and 13, um, specifically this morning, Colossians 12 and 13. And as you do that, um, I said this in the first service, and I just want to say it again. I feel like uh, the Spirit of God really was pushing on my soul to just be um, uh, publicly so grateful and thankful um, for Gray and the way that he leads this team. Uh, been so excited. Um, so I've been here, my wife and I and our family, about seven weeks and just been super encouraged by the entire team here. Um, but great this morning before the first services, we were just coming together. We spent some time just praying and I was so grateful um, for, for just the words that he had to, to speak over us and really impacted my soul. And so I know that you're grateful for him as well and super, super glad that he leads us uh, in worship. So thank you, and for just being so faithful um, to God's Word, Gray. Appreciate that. All right, I, I trust that you're in Colossians chapter 3. Uh, we're going to, again, dive right in and um, look at what God's Word has to say, beginning in verse 12. The Apostle Paul is writing here, and he says this, "'Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved,' Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And those are kind of profound and tough words sometimes. So we're in week number three of this series that we've called one another. And what we have been looking at, what we've wanted to do is to continue to push into the, to, to the reality of what it means for us to live relationally with one another, what I would call horizontal relationships, in light of the gospel reality. And simply that means because God has, uh, in the gospel of, uh, of Jesus Christ, has saved us, has transformed us as believers, we now live differently in all of our horizontal relationships. It's just the centrality of of the gospel. That's what this series is about. And I hope that you've been encouraged. We began in week one with humility. Last week marked it a fabulous job. I got to watch it yesterday online. We weren't here, um, but even had heard from so many of you as he led us through um, what it looks like to live in harmony with one another. But this morning, what it's going to be is this deep dive into, I think, what is one of the most difficult commands that God calls us to. And the command is forgiveness. And so before we even really um, expound on God's Word, let's just spend this next moment um, praying together if we can. So Father, we love you, and we are so grateful that we get to be um, gathered in this place this morning as your church, that we can open your Word, God, that, that this is one of the means of your grace that you minister to us 
Father, that the Holy Spirit that dwells in us enlivens the Word to us. And so, God, because um, we, we come into this place probably with a lot that has been going on this week, God, I do pray that you would remove distractions and those things that would pull our heart away from what you'd have us to, to hear and listen and respond to this morning in your Word. God, I pray for those who are coming in this morning and who are just in difficult places, who relationally are struggling this morning. And this series, while maybe um, exactly what they need, is also difficult at the same time. And so, God, I pray that you would minister um, to their souls this morning. We thank you for the opportunity just to, to be worshipful as we look at your, as your word this morning. So we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, in the early 1980s, uh, this wonderful invention called the console TV came out. I don't know, some of you remember it? I know if you look back, like today we look at the console TV and we're like, like that thing looks hideous. It's like a 21-inch you know, screen and they, they, they packed it all in wood and all of that kind of stuff. But listen, when, when you're like a, I don't know, 8, 9, 10-year-old boy, something like that, and dad brings this new contraption home, it is marvelous. And you know what the most marvelous thing about that whole console TV was? It's because as we moved out of the 70s and into the 80s, that meant that my sister and I were no longer the remote control, but they actually came with remote controls, which means my dad nor I had to get off the couch anymore. Now, I don't remember exactly how the story happened, but I do know that on a Saturday morning, I'm quite convinced I was sitting in front of that TV, probably too close, but it was only a 21-inch screen, and my sister got angry about something, and she took this remote, this is the actual one, we mail it back and forth to one another, and she threw it at me, and she missed me, but she hit that television. Now, if you hear her tell the story she would tell you that that is not at all what happened. What actually happened was that she was the one that was in front of the television. I'm the one that got angry. I'm the one that took that remote, tossed it, missed her, and actually hit the TV. I don't know, it's been like like 35 years. We, We honestly don't know who it is that threw that remote. But I got the microphone, and she lives in Ohio, so I'm telling you it's her. I recently got to see my sister uh, just last week, and we playfully, every time we get together, we argue about one thing. Like, who needs to forgive who? Right? Who, who was it that threw that remote first? Because I'm pretty convinced that she needs to forgive me. She's pretty convinced that I need to forgive her. And while we can laugh at that story, here is a reality or a truth that I think that it just kind of hits on. Every single one of us have been hurt. Every single one of us have been wronged. Every single one of us have been sinned against, and in far deeper and more significant ways than remotes that are thrown at each other by a couple of nine and ten-year-old kids. And if that's true, or because that's true, that means that we also, every single one of us, have also hurt other people, and we've wronged other people, and we've sinned against other people. There's a lot that we could actually talk about when we talk about this topic of forgiveness. But what I want us to do this morning, and I think you're going to see this come out of the text, is that, that we need to narrow our focus a little bit. I really want to spend this morning fleshing out what does it look like, because we're a believer in Christ, uh, to, to forgive one another in the moments of some of our deepest or most profound hurts. In other words, I want to know what it looks like for us as believers, because of who we now are, to forgive which might beg the question, why even teach about biblical forgiveness? 
Because if you're like a lot of folks, here's, here's what we really desire, or at least we don't want confrontation, so I'm just going to forget about it. Yes, Sally hurt me, but I'm just going to put it away. I, I'm not going to deal with that. Like if I just forget it, it, it didn't actually happen, I'm just going to, I'm just going to move on. But the problem with that is forgiveness is actually absolutely essential if we're going to live for the good of one another. The point of this whole series, if we're going to actually be the church, and, and by that I mean more than the church that just gathers on Sunday morning, but right, this, this is a special thing. We are living together in biblical community, and because that's true, there are going to be times of relational difficulty, and because there's relational difficulty, forgiveness is going to become absolutely essential. You cannot be in relationship and not have to deal with this area of forgiveness. Even though unforgiveness is an incredibly popular path, it is not an option. And you know why? Because it's going to hinder not just your relationships with one another, not just those horizontal relationships, but ultimately it hinders your relationship with the Lord. It's a great talk this morning about what it looks like that we extol Jesus, that we make much of Jesus. And one of the things that um, really will, will keep the, the fullness of, of the presence of Jesus by being clear in our eyes is that when we just have relational difficulties with other people, when we've been sinned against, we sin against them, it just diminishes the gloriness of that. There is a call on our lives that we're going to see in this text for the good of each other, for one another, and for the glory of God. That is the one thing that I just want you to hold on to today. As we walk through this text, it comes out of verse 13, and you can see it, but it's the big idea. It's that Christ followers forgive as Christ forgave us. You walk out of here and go, man, as a believer in Christ, I forgive just the way that Jesus has forgiven us. And we'll flush that out, but, but if you're like me, at least this is where I was at this week. I'm thinking, like, if only it was that easy. And I get it. It's not always, if ever, that easy just to forgive. Because I know it's easy for me to say, well, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. But here's my hope. As we begin to look at this section of Colossians, which the Apostle Paul um, wrote, um, what he did is, is he starts with and gives us the reason that we can even forgive as Christ has forgiven us. So that's where I want to start us. We're going to look at this and say, what's the reason? It, it's it's got to be deeper than just a command. And then where I'm going to end our time today very specifically is I want to answer this question. How is it that I forgive? So right out of the gate, let me give you something that probably is going to surprise you. That's our first point. Here's what it is. Forgiveness is conditional. Forgiveness is conditional. So why would I even, like, why would I say that? Why would I say that forgiveness is conditional? Let's define the word, can we? If you look up the word conditional in the dictionary, it says this. Depending on, contingent on, hinging on. Resting on, hanging on, based on, deter- right? you get the point, right? On something else. So if something's contingent, it's based upon something else. Follow me here because the key to understanding forgiveness and all of the commands, actually everything that you see the Apostle Paul write in the rest of this chapter, in this epistle, and throughout all the epistles in the New Testament is hinged on just a couple of words that he writes in the first opening verses of chapter 3. So turn your attention with me back to to verse 1 of chapter 3, which will give us 
the reason that forgiveness is conditional. He writes this, if then you have been raised with, raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. If you're a Bible circler, there's a couple of things that I want you to circle this morning. That's the opening words, if then, if then. Perhaps it would be even helpful for you to go down into verse 3 and says, and circle this, for you have died. So let me ask a question, kind of a rhetorical question. Are you a believer in Christ this morning? I would say that in this room, most of us would say that there is a time where we have placed our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. So then, if you've been raised with Christ, see the condition there? Or as he puts it in verse 3, if you have died, which is just a metaphor for the fact that who you used to be is no longer who you are. If that's true of you, that all of the old ways of living and the old responses to people that sin against us uh, is not something that we have to, to live by anymore. In other words, we don't have to have sinful responses because of who we now are in Christ Jesus. So when we came along in this series and says, you know, to, to the one another's is living relationally in light of gospel reality, that's what we're trying to push down. That we can live a certain way relationally with one another because of who we now are in Jesus Christ. Now let's pause for a moment though and also understand that this means something significant and that's this. This text was not written to non-believers. It was written to the church at Colossae for their edification and for their encouragement in order for them to live with one another. You know, it was, it was difficult enough to, to live relationally with the world, let alone whatever it was that was going on in this church. So Paul here is not talking to someone who has not yet trusted Christ. You see, a lot of times what we often want to do is we want to put expectation on other people who are not yet followers of Christ and expect them to respond in forgiveness in the way that we would expect a believer to respond. Does that make sense? And I listen, I love it when a, when a non-believer responds and forgives. It's a good thing. It's a gracious gift from God. But here's the point I want you to really know when I talk about what it means that forgiveness is conditional. For the believer, forgiveness is determined by, it rests on, it's based on who we are, who Aaron is, who you are in Christ Jesus. My daughter, uh, my, of my three children, my middle daughter, Abigail, um, she's not here today, so this is why I can do this, uh, although she secretly loves this stuff. So I took a picture of her room to illustrate something. They're gonna, you guys are going to throw it on the screen. Um, she, uh, she is immaculate. She called me this week. She's visiting family in Ohio, and she said, Dad, is my room still clean? Well, we didn't let somebody else move in, right? Right? Uh, in case you want to know if she's my daughter, all you have to do is look at the pictures. See how perfectly aligned they are? That makes a daddy like me just super excited. I'm like, oh, I love it. Not only that, we'll tease each other because um, we have these similar OCD tendencies. Like, we'll go around the house and we'll make sure things are unplugged 14 times. And uh, 
Andrew, our son, and my wife, Jenny, when, when we get in to leave somebody, they're just like, they sit there and they kind of roll their eyes, because Abby and I will go back and forth, did you unplug this? Did you do this? Did you check this? Dad, did you check the stove 14 times? Yes, I actually checked it 15 times. We're like, okay, good. Now we can leave. There's a point for that. See, Abigail, she, she, she truly can't help it. Just by the nature of being my daughter, because she possesses my DNA, she does certain things, right, in certain ways. And I hope you see the correlation. Because in the same way, because we are now in Christ Jesus, what we are called to do is just increasingly indicative of who we are. So this morning, when I, when I come along and say what we're to do is to forgive as Christ has forgiven us, I'm not saying it's this external command that we have to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps and just do. I'm saying it's indicative of who you are as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. It's in your DNA. It's what it should just look like for us. So then forgiveness, as, as Paul writes it, is just conditional in the sense that because you have a relationship now with Jesus, it's part of who you are. It's not optional anymore to forgive. We do it because we belong to him. We do it because we love him. We do it to extol his name. We do it because we desire to obey Jesus. And that's what I want to press upon us when I mean that forgiveness is conditional. So here's what we're going to do this morning, church. We're going to spend the remainder of our time, and, and we really have to wrestle with forgiveness as followers of Christ. Um, if you're here this morning, and I would suppose that there are a lot of folks here in this, this situation this morning, that the hurt that you're experiencing in your relationships is super raw. You might have had a collision with a spouse or a collision with your children or someone you're dating, even this morning. And you come in here and you're just all kind of stirred up inside, and it's hard. Or in the last week, or in the last month, or if I can even be super transparent in why this message is really hard for me to preach in the last 10 years. See, I too have had someone who I considered very close to me hurt me in deep ways. And so when I preach this message to you, I have spent some time like, God, remind me that this is true. Tell me the fact that because of who I am, I can forgive. Because your hurt, my hurt, is super raw. And if that's you, then what I have done is I've stirred up in your minds the hurt all over again. And that's okay. I know. It plays like a movie reel in your head, doesn't it? Over and over and over again. And you can't get it to stop. And you just want it to stop. And you just, you're so tired of how much the pain hurts you that you've been hurt. So it sounds a bit contrite to come along and just say, well, just forgive. Just move on. I want to be sensitive to you this morning because I know how sensitive it is subject for me. But here's what I also know. The truth of God's word is a balm to our soul at the same time that it cuts us deeply. So if we look at the rest of this text, there is a truth that's going to cut us here as we get out of the gate and soothe us at the same time. And I hope that um, through the Spirit of God, He just soothes us in this moment. Here's the second thing that I want to give you. If forgiveness is conditional, then it's commanded. Oof, right? Can some of us just say, ugh, with that? 
Like forgiveness is commanded. Look back with me at verse 13, would you? Bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against the other, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. You see that? So you must also forgive. It's this imperative uh, command of God. Like you have to forgive. Um, To help us really connect all the dots here, though, if we go back at the beginning of verse 12, the Apostle Paul is going to do a couple of things here. And I just want you to see this. Uh, Hopefully this will bring some clarity uh, to this idea of forgiveness. So, first of all, I've already spent a good deal of time telling you who you are in Christ Jesus. Paul does the exact same thing, because he did it over there in verses 1 through 3. He does the exact same thing in chapter 12, or excuse me, verse 12 once again. Look at the text. Put on then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. So once again, before Paul tells us that we're to forgive one another, what does he do? He reminds us of who we are because of the gospel. Once you were not holy, now you are holy. Once you were not beloved, now you're beloved. You just may need to know today, believer, that even in your deepest struggle, you are holy before God because of Jesus Christ. That you are a beloved son and daughter. I hope that even in this command, that brings you a little bit of soothment to your soul. That you're holy and beloved. That's awesome. It's an incredible thing. And then Paul does something else. He says, because of that foundation, because you're holy, because you're beloved, because you're in Christ, all of those things, he says, this is how you're to act towards one another in relationships. And what he does is he's going to give, he's going to give some relational attributes, as I call them. Look at verse 12. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. The list is, at first glance, extraordinary. How am I supposed to do that relationally with other people? If you think about those words, what do they even mean? Well, compassionate hearts. That means that we're just willing to have mercy and sympathy, empathy towards one another. The word kindness, as he writes it, It's just a person who is not harsh. Can you say even in the last week that there's been, or would you be willing to admit, maybe there's a better way to ask the question, that there's been times that you've been harsh? Humility, we did it in week one. It's not self-loving, right? Freedom from pride and arrogance. Meekness is probably one of my favorite words to really understand in the New Testament because it means power under control. It's a person who's gentle and who doesn't inflict harm to other people even though they have the physical, emotional ability to do so. God, make me weak. I've already told you some of my struggles in the past, how, the, how it is that I've been able to, um, by God's grace, walk into even, even fleshing out biblical counseling. And you know why? Because I wasn't always meek. I could cut with my tongue pretty deeply. See, I had the ability to just take somebody else and put them into an emotional puddle. Oh, God, forgive me. Because that's not... Meekness, patience here, literally means not to get angry with other people. And then he lands it with this this thing that says, 
to bear with one another. Literally, it means to endure, to not retaliate when you're wrong. How hard is that? What's the first desire of your heart when somebody hurts you? Man, retaliation is often the very first place that we go. I just want you to imagine for a moment, what would your relationships look like if, if all of us lived these out in the way that we're supposed to? Wouldn't that be phenomenal? You see, there's a growing sense that that's the ability that we have in the kingdom of the already but not yet. You live in the kingdom this side of eternity. This is, because of who we are in Christ, a a possibility as a growing reality. But understand this, as we talked about, there is a day coming. There is a day when Jesus will return, when he will right all things, when all things will be good again. All relationships will live out these attributes in perfect harmony. Praise God for that, right? But Paul knows what every single one of us understands And that we still live in a sinful, broken world. We are still people who are indwelt by the reality of original sin and our own volitional sin. And so that just means that in all of your relationships, you are going to experience challenge. And that's why verse 13 goes on to say, if you have a complaint against one another, forgive. So as I'm reading Colossians 3, and and I get to this section, I'm asking this question of myself, like, why do I have a complaint against somebody else? Like, how does that occur? And there's a lot of ways that you can be sinned against, right? Like, the litany of ways that we can be sinned against. But listen to this. I think that if we we just think about the attributes that are in this text, you could boil it down to, to all things being thrown in the category of people not being compassionate, not being merciful, not being kind, not being humble, not bearing with one another, failing to forgive one another. Take all the offenses and you could put from the, from the simplest to the most heinous acts that are committed against you and somehow they would fall under one of those categories. So it's when we fail to live those things out that a complaint actually rises up in our hearts. But then let's go just a little bit further with that because Here's what I found about us goofy people as humans. It's not just when somebody sins against us that we actually have a complaint in our hearts, but it also can just be when we have the perception that we've been sinned against. You know what I'm talking about? When you you get up and your wife or your husband does something that you perceive as an offense against you, and all of a sudden you're ticked off, man. And you, maybe you play that out with the silent treatment for a day or two days or a week or whatever that looks like, and your spouse is begging you like, what's wrong? I don't understand. They had absolutely no idea. But in your mind, in your perception, they have sinned against you. Perception can even create in us just an agitated heart. I thought, um, I thought when we moved to Winston-Salem from Southwest Florida, there would be one thing that would be distinctly different, and that's your ability to drive. But alas, it's the same as those who are in Southwest Florida. Now, I, in all seriousness, my wife will tell you and my family will tell you one of the irritation, irritations they experience with Aaron is that I feel the need to comment on everybody else's driving habits as I go down the, as I go down the road, Right? And one of the things that irritates me more than anything is people who do not understand what a yield sign means. I 
I just don't get it. Every morning I have to come down 52. I get on uh, exit uh, 52. I get off. We live at exit 118. I'll try to say that right. I have to get off at university at 115. If you've ever been up there or as you've traveled there, you know that exit 116 comes out, right, and merges this way while if you're getting off at university, you have to cross there. Let me help you out. Yield means you must stop and yield the right of way to somebody else. Now, I don't know technically in that situation what engineer decided how that whole yield thing is going to work, but I know this. Every single day, someone comes and forces me to get over, and they fail to yield to me, and I just have perceived that that person has sinned against me, and in my mind, I'm just railing against them. Like, if you just would do what you're supposed to do, I wouldn't have to be angry at you. <laughs> Some of you are like, Amen. That's right. Preach that. Oh, if it were only that true. All right, silly, but what happens in your inner spirit in that moment? Just think about this, because that, that has a point. When you've been sinned against, or even when you perceive it, right? So when the other driver does that, and you just think that they've offended you in some way, and they're driving down the road, and they're oblivious, right? They have absolutely no idea what they did. What happens to you? Because... What has happened is we experience hurt at some level. Say, no, I actually, I'm angry. Well, deep down anger or bitterness or grumbling is really masking a root issue, which is just hurt. And then hurt often plays itself out in sinful responses in relationships. Luckily, I keep myself and my words and everything else in while I'm driving down the road. But you know what I'm talking about. When you've been sinned against or when you um, perceive that you've been sinned against, a lot of times our response is sinful. And one of the most common sinful responses to hurt is this. We refuse to forgive because unforgiveness feels like the right response to our hurts. It just feels right. There's something in us that, that, that just says, man, if, if, if I forgive or if I fail to forgive rather, um, then, then what I can do is I can keep other people in my debt. You know why that feels right? Because when you hurt, when you hold that hurt over somebody else, it makes you feel, it makes Aaron feel like you have some control. I'm never going to let that person hurt me again. So as long as I don't forgive them, as long as I can place them in my emotional debt, then I have some control. I don't have to let them in. I don't have to be relationally close in a place that, that, that may risk them hurting me again. See, we just believe it's a way that we can prevent future hurts. And what it does is it puts the other person in our debt. It's a debt that we actually believe, oh, you've earned that. You did this to me, so you earned that. And we do not want to free them from that by forgiving them because we really don't want them to be free from the debt that we believe that they owe us. Oh. Here's the problem. That sets our hearts on a collision course with God's commands when he says forgive. See, we know what the word says, right? But deep hurt can be so profoundly large in our hearts that in our minds, it's really hard to fully obey. It's really hard to obey. And so this is what we do. We start asking questions like this. Um, well, how many times must I forgive somebody who keeps hurting me? 
Have you ever found yourself asking that question? In the reel of tapes or the relationships that you have experienced, you feel like you've reconciled with somebody only for them to come back and do something different that hurts you. Lord, how many times do I have to keep doing this? Because I'm done. I'm over it. I'm going to move on. And if you've ever asked that question, then you and the Apostle Peter are in great company. You see, he asks the question, the exact same question of Jesus in Matthew chapter 18. I don't want you to turn there. I'm just going to read the, the first couple of, of verses just so you can see that this is, this is Peter's response. And then I want us to just explore what Jesus says. Verse 21 of Matthew 18, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Same question, isn't it? Like how many times do we have to do this? As many as seven times seven? That number is just a, it means completion. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. In other words, Jesus is just saying this. Uh, there is no amount of times. It's perpetual. I don't know what Peter's response would have been in that moment, but Jesus is going to explain. Like, let me help you understand this. You want to know what the kingdom of God looks like? Not just the kingdom that's coming, but the kingdom now, the one that I've come to inaugurate, the one that I've come to, to, to really transform people's hearts and draw them into the, to the kingdom of God. It looks like this. It looks like a king who has several people who owe him debts. His servants then bring all of those people before him. And there is one in particular who owes him more than he could ever pay, 10,000 denarii. The parable is just this. It's, it's that there is no possible way that that person would ever be able to repay what they owe the king. The king says, well, then you have to be sold and your wife has to be sold and your children have to be sold into slavery. That's how you're going to pay the debt. The servant gets down. He's on his knees. He begs. He pleads. Please have, uh, forgive me. Please have mercy on it. And the king in his graciousness, without being given anything in return, says, I will forgive you your debt. Graciously and excitedly, the first servant goes out and immediately he encounters another person who owes him money, but he only owes him one denarii. Basically, minuscule amounts, next to nothing, compared to the 10,000. To him, he says, you need to pay me what is owed. The guy says, I can't pay you. The servant begins to choke him. The guy falls down before him. He begs him. He pleads him in, in, in mercy. He says, won't you forgive me? The servant who's been forgiven for so much says, no. And he refuses to forgive him, and he throws him in the debtor's prison. Man, do you see the point? You see what's beginning to, to happen there? The first servant is an illustrative uh, of every single one of us who have been forgiven for so much for a debt that we could never pay because of our sin before God. That's what Jesus has done for us. But then when we talk about living relationally in light of the gospel, how many of us actually respond like that servant? We go out and we find somebody else that, quite honestly, is in our debt, who asks for our forgiveness, and we refuse. I'm never going to give you that. 
Jesus, when he explains this, uh, th- this uh, teaching through this parable, says, as a belief, that ought not to be so. That shouldn't be true of you. Because if you've been forgiven for more than you could ever pay, why would you not then forgive those who have, who have sinned against you in ways that are far less significant than you have sinned against me? So why would God command us to forgive? Why would we have to wrestle through this in this text? Well, the short answer is because we've been forgiven for so much that forgiven people get this desire to forgive people. I am convinced of this, that the more fully that we come to a a place where we understand the depth and depravity of our sin before a holy God, the sweeter His forgiveness is. So when we think about this command, and we're challenged in it, one of the places that you may want to go is is just reflect on the debt that you owed God, that you could not pay, that it was impossible for you to surmount, that God came in the person and work of Jesus Christ and said, it's forgiven. And that will bring you to a place where we started this series of humility that says, who am I not to forgive? How can I not forgive? I've been forgiven for so much more. Brought a quote with me, Todd Friel. He does a radio program called Wretched Radio. He says this. I I thought it was just point on with what we're talking about. He says, when you remember that nobody has ever done anything as horrific to you as they have done to Jesus, you can respond graciously to people when they sin. Man, Forgiveness is commanded, but here's the question then. How am I commanded to forgive? And Paul, in the text, is going to go on, he's going to tell us, so let's go back to verse 13. Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, what does it say? As the Lord has forgiven you. So the text is straightforward. The way that you are to forgive other people is the way that the Lord has forgiven you. If we understand it, quite honestly, simply, the pattern for living out forgiveness towards one another in all of our relationships is to mirror the way that we have been forgiven by Christ. That make sense? How have we been forgiven by Christ? That's where I want to land us today because if, if we're struggling with this, if we're having a difficult time relationally forgiving other people and we're commanded to forgive like Christ has forgiven, then how has Jesus forgiven us? What are some things that we can flesh out of that will maybe help us as we walk out of this place today? What does Christ-like forgiveness even look like? And I'm going to give you three words. Christ-like forgiveness is full, it's free, and it's forever. It's full, it's free, and forever. You see, because you are fully forgiven, then we in turn fully forgive. You realize that when God saved you, right, He fully forgave you. Not not just for what you have done, but what you have yet to do. Every one of your sins was future sins at the time that Christ paid for them on the cross. Just ponder that for one moment. God knows your greatest failures, 
that are yet in the future that you don't even know, and he's already forgiven them. That doesn't mean in those moments that we aren't repentive and ask God for forgiveness, but he's already paid fully what you can't pay. That's why Paul would write in Romans 8, 1 this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. What is he saying? You're not under the condemnation of the wrath of God because of the person and work of Jesus Christ. We, you and I, none of us, if we are believers, if we placed our faith and our trust in Christ, do not sit under the condemnation of God. And some of us this morning just need to sit here and let that reality sink in. You are not condemned. You are not condemned. Believer, you are wholly beloved. You're a saint of God. You are not condemned because of Jesus Christ. You're loved. Your performance is not, um, is not the basis for God's love for you. In spite of your failures, you are fully forgiven. And if that's true, then we're called to forgive others as Christ forgave us, which is fully. And listen, let me... I don't have enough time on a Sunday morning message to, to really break apart how difficult that is. I, I get it. Some of you are going, I have to work through, um, through deep hurts. Some of you have allowed, as I had at one time, man, bitterness to sink into my soul into a place that I was just poisoned to the people around me. Those hurts are deep. You may have to work through that. I understand that, but here's the deal. Forgiveness is, is full to the extent that the person that you forgive could sit in your presence and they would feel no condemnation as you yourself are not condemned in front of Jesus Christ. Ugh, right? Stop for that a moment. You right now, if Jesus were here, are not condemned. You could stand fully in front of him in spite of your greatest failures this morning. And he says, I don't condemn you. What would it look like for the person that has wronged you to be able to sit in front of you and not feel condemned because you have fully forgiven them? Secondly, because we're freely forgiven then, we just freely forgive. You've been freely forgiven. It's God's grace. You didn't do anything to earn that. You didn't have any reason to deserve God's grace. It was just given to you freely. That's why Paul also wrote in Romans 6.23, for the wages of sin is death. But what does it say? The free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You didn't do anything to get that. We forgive freely because we've been given so much freely. It's kind of like the servant in Matthew 18. He was forgiven freely by the grace of the king, not because he did anything. That's how you forgive other people. It's freely. You see, forgiveness, church, that requires payment is not forgiveness. It's called debt repayment. Our debt was already paid just as that believer who had sinned against you has already had their debt paid. Do you realize, just think about the person who has hurt you the most deeply, if they're a believer in the Jesus Christ, their sin against you has already been forgiven by the blood of Jesus. Here's the last thing, and we're going to just close. Because we're forever forgiven, we forever forgive. Forever. 
So Christ-like forgiveness means that we forever forgive. How good is it that we're not just fully and freely forgiven, but that we are forever, for always forgiven? One of my favorite sections of Hebrews is in 10, where it talks about Jesus, a single sacrifice, was offered for once and all. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father because it was complete. No longer was there any necessity for the daily sacrifices which had to occur because of the the constant sin of the people. His sacrifice in Jesus Christ was sufficient for, for all times, forever. So we're called to forgive the same way. It's forever forgiveness. That means this, that whatever has been forgiven stays forgiven. Because it's, it's way too easy on past offenses, or in a current offense rather, to remember past offenses, right? We have our list, don't we? Somebody hurts you again who's hurt you in the past, and now all of a sudden we don't just open a new offense, we open the entire list of offenses. We want to make sure that they understand all of the ways that they have hurt us. Nothing in a a relationship is going to be derailed more. Nothing will derail, rather, a relationship more quickly than to allow what was forgiven in the past to be used as a weapon in the present. You want to blow up your relationship? Weaponize a past offense that you said you've forgiven. It's not easy. I know that. I know that it feels easy to to think that maybe it's justified because other people have hurt us so badly. But I just think that when we consider our own sin and our own offenses against other people, what we have to remember is that, that we have a funny posture. When we sin, what do you want somebody else to do? Forgive me? Have mercy on me? I'm sorry. I didn't mean it. I acted dumb. But when somebody sins against us, you know what we want? Justice served severely. I'm not going to forgive them. I want to see justice delivered. Church, as believers, Jesus Christ has already taken care of the justice It's been dispensed by God himself on Jesus as he bore the weight that we could not bear in order to forgive all of us who don't deserve his forgiveness in the first place. God's forgiveness was full, and it was free, and it was forever. So that means that because of the gospel, we now actually have the ability to forgive one another fully and freely and forever not only for the glory of God, but for the good of one another. Your relationships lived out in a new kingdom way will never be the same if you step into the reality that you can forgive because of who you are in Jesus Christ. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to close this morning. The bands, um, as they make their way out, um, we're going to worship again in song. But I know that some of you have come into this place this morning and I've hit something in you that hurts, right? And so we're going to spend some time um, 
just asking God to, to soothe our soul, to forgive the ways that we've wronged other people in failing to forgive them. And before we take these next few moments, and before Gray and the band lead us, before we stand up, if you find yourself in a place where the Holy Spirit is convicted, you say, I just need to confess that before the Lord. Just, it's okay. Like, we're one big family. You stay in your seat and you deal with the Lord. And then once you do that, know that He has forever forgiven you freely, right? And you can stand up and you can raise your hands and you can shout to the Lord and you can praise His name because He has forgiven you. Rest in that. Trust in that. Believe in that. Be encouraged by that today.